Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined, as always, by the Tarzan. To my Ricky, it's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm feeling mighty powerful. Like I could lift up a large metal compression device. Even while you're, like, (laughs) mostly dead. And our very own Oscar. That's right, Sarah Cronenbeck. Oh, I'll take it. Uh, Just fresh, ready, ready for anything. All right. So this uh, this week was almost like a week off, right? We uh, we've been it's been a it's going to be eleven days between Seahawks games. It's been a long time since the Seahawks have played football, and uh, I think all of us are very satisfied with the kind of the state of the team right now, right? It, it really feels like even though we we've been losing more than we winning lately, that last win felt like a it felt like a turning point for for all of us, I think. And um, so I kind of want to start with that. Like, what what was it about the last win? That made it made it so so sweet, such a good win. That made it kind of wash out the the prior frustrations in the previous weeks that we had been going through with the Rams loss and and all the the other losses that had kind of frustrated CX fans. What made last week's win kind of cancel those out for you guys? Um, Eric, you want to take this first? Yeah, um, I think it's pretty simple in the sense that uh, it was a win against a divisional opponent. It was a win against Arizona, who uh, I don't know if they spanked us last time we played them, but. It was certainly an unexpected loss, uh, although Kyler Murray's really Made sure we didn't get swept by him. Yeah, seriously, that would have put us in a really awful position. There's a lot of fear heading into this game, like, ah, you know, we should win. It's Action Green Thursday night. The Cardinals can't really be this good, but I don't know. So, yeah, I think that's why it felt good. Plus, uh, you know, the return of the pass rush, which we'll get into. That's, um, oh, it feels so good, guys. It feels so good. Kevin, Kevin, what about you? This this win was really like uh, it feels like the feels like the tides of Seahawks fandom kind of swung really far in the other direction. Why do you think that is? Well, I know for me personally, it was a situation where the bye week to mini bye week was the toughest stretch, and going two and three in that stretch, three and two is what I was hoping for. So going two and three would feel a lot better than going one and four. Like going one and four, it would have been one of those situations where the next time we actually get to play against a decent team, and one could argue the only time before the playoffs, is week 16 against the Rams. Beating a pretty good Cardinals team was kind of a proof of concept before we start just kind of punking some weak teams. So, because, I mean, if we would have come out and the defense would have looked pretty good and the offense would have been humming and it was against, you know, uh, Philadelphia, two New York teams and a football team like you're going, okay, is it really the teams playing well or so as a proof of concept that when they take away the deep passing, we can run and get the underneath stuff as a proof of concept that we can um, get pressure against a decent offensive line with just our front four. For those reasons, I think it was a pretty big win. Yeah, it just seems like um, coming into the week, the the general consensus on this team was so negative, you know, just so doom and gloom, so negative. And I know like Seahawks Twitter and and Reddit and stuff has a tendency. I don't know if it's the bad weather we get up here in the winter, but when things are not going perfectly for the Seahawks, it is um, it's it the the negativity gets real high. How about we that? get some Pete Vember blues. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, people, people, uh, people really go hard on the the negativity, and then and it, it doesn't take much though to kind of get everyone back on board. And 
it's everyone does seem to be like a hundred percent back on board. I'm uh I'm I'm pretty impressed by how how much uh, the just the general sentiment around the team seems to have uh, have turned around. Uh, all right, I gotta what? Let's start on. Let's start with a little bit of offense. I, and I know like we already covered like our initial reactions, but we're gonna go a little deeper today. The offensive line of the Seattle Seahawks really seems to have turned it around in general. And um, I think one of the biggest criticisms of the Seahawks this offseason was like, why didn't we do more? to to address the offensive line the um general consensus was that the seahawks should have got went and got a guy like jack conklin right that was i think the prevailing opinion was the seahawks should have gone and got jack conklin the fact that we did it is a failure of this front office there was a lot of that kind of sentiment out there the seahawks instead they sign brandon shell they sign um bj finney they go and draft damian lewis that's their rebuilding process for their offensive line. And this offensive line has been nothing short of terrific. Another fantastic game from this offensive line. And Kevin, who's the who's the real hero here? Who what offensive lineman do you feel like is the real hero? Who's who's the you know, I have a famous who's uh, the theory. straw that stirs the drink? <laughs> yeah. I have a fa- I have a famous theory though. Like my um the Nathan Santo one good offensive lineman makes a lot bigger difference than it should, right? Yeah. That that it, it doesn't take uh, five. All we don't need to improve all five spots. If you improve one spot by enough, uh, then it will it will make a big difference across the whole line because because of the way offensive line has to play as a unit. It's not an individual position like a running back or wide receiver where you just have to beat your guy. So who's the hero, Kevin? Who's the real hero? Who's the one guy that made the biggest difference? <clears throat> you know, I think there's a guy who came in and took a position that has been a thorn in the side of the team, a position that has been. Um, often a source of negative play that has been in flux. And he's been a very stable, solid, strong hand at that spot. The kind of person you could put a rookie next to and feel like the rookie can lean on him a little bit every now and then. I feel like Brandon Shell, who a lot of people panned the amount of money we gave him and panned whether or not he would be able to come in and be an impact player. Brandon Shell has come in and been a really solid good right tackle and he creates that bookend with drain with Dwayne Brown who's our true really good offensive lineman that kind of lets the rest of it work even when things have been a little bit in flux and I feel like the best proof of that is watch what has happened when Brandon Shell had to step out of a few drives watch watch what happens when Russell Wilson drops back to pass yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's just in it's just insane that's how, nature's pocket how much time he has to throw in it and uh let's just say like is 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 brandon shell as good as jack conklin nah no. that cleveland offensive line is playing really good and it's basically the only reason their offense functions at all he's uh conklin has allowed 11 pressures on 295 or 295 pass blocking opportunities but that's not that much worse than Shell, who's done 20 on 443 pass blocking opportunities. That's a very similar rate of of pressure allowing over the course of, of pass blocking. We've asked a lot of our offensive line in terms of pass blocking, and Brandon Shell has been more than up to the task. At, in the less run, than a third, at about a third of the price, too. That's an yeah, important piece in this. Right. Yeah. It left us enough free agency to go do some of the other stuff we're going to talk about later. But Brandon Shell, I think, is a has been a, a really big bright spot. He looks really good. This team 
obviously came in with a plan. They wanted younger, more athletic offensive linemen and a, and a Fetty to to play at I mean, a, a more. I mean, you potty. Eupati, sorry, and Eupati <laughs> to to run a more up tempo style of offense, and that does lead to Eupati just getting taken off the field in some games, where like for like ten plays to rest. That has happened this season yep. multiple times because he's he's the elder statesman of the uh, of the line in term not just in terms of regular age because Dwayne Brown's about the same age, but in terms of like lower leg age, which has got to be getting up there now. His lower legs are like. 10 years older than the rest oh. of his body <laughs> so, makes me nervous. Yeah, every once in a while he moves like earl campbell and not earl campbell when he played but like earl campbell now but but <laughs> they want to play this more up-tempo style get to the line they have more athletic offensive linemen they don't they don't wear down over the course of a game they're they're able to hold up pass blocks pass blocking's hard man you have to hold up one-on-one against a guy and another thing that's happened is injuries have hit this position group you know the the postage was a revelation through the first half of the season. And we, we were able to find um, Damian Lewis. He comes in and yeah, he made a couple rookie plays, right? He, snapping the ball right into his butt uh, and kind of making a, a, a tough handoff with Russ. That that's a rookie play. He got that hold call. I think that wasn't the hold, but you know, we'll just call that a rookie play too. Cause maybe he needs to sell it better so that he doesn't get the holding call by throwing his arms up into the air like a ridiculous person. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that was, that was not a hold, but either way, these guys really have a, he comes over and plays center and it is and it. And because the overall play of the offensive line is so much better, that offensive line holds up in an Arizona game where maybe, uh, they would have struggled. So yeah, nine games, three hundred sixty-three snaps of Jordan Simmons not sucking as yeah. our third guard. That's been right. really big. And we've had to play. We've had to go dip into the depth, and uh, that's it's been fine. It's been it's been serviceable. And and we get we get post postage might come back this week. He practiced would, today is what I heard, which is yeah, great. But he's in concussion protocol, right? So the way concussion protocol works is you can practice before you're actually cleared. Um, so he, so the, the fourth step is practice and the fifth step is getting cleared by a neurologist. So after you pass the third step, you can go to fourth step anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying he's not out of the woods yet. He's got one more step to go before he's like a hundred percent cleared. He, he is in concussion protocol, right? I'm not crazy. Yeah, he is. Okay. That's just, I'm just saying it's a good sign that he hit the practice field Yeah, because that's kind four. of what we are waiting on to figure out if it's going to yeah. happen. Like, and now he has almost an entire week because of our mini bye week. Right. to kind of clear that last hurdle yeah he has he has until friday to get the neurologist check good to go so i think he'll make it which would be awesome the, the the offensive line back at full strength is very good it's a good offensive line it's a strength of this team if i'm being honest and mm-hmm. yeah maybe they don't exert their will in the run game like they used to except for sometimes like eopati and brown on the left side can really get off and it's very satisfying but 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 uh but for the most part it's just kind of a, a solid all-around pass blocking unit and a and a average run blocking unit and guess what that's plenty good enough for me uh that that that's like a you know borderline top 10 offensive line insane insanity that shouldn't happen that's they're allowing t- a lot of sacks but i'll be honest as i want the more i watch the tape the more i just th- those are not the fault of a lot of time of the offensive line russ takes a lot of bad sacks and uh, it's it's followed him his whole career and I'm just uh, just over it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, PFF blames him for 11 of the sacks this season. Yeah. Uh, next highest is Brandon Shell with three. Yeah, I just I feel like that's pretty fair. And I, yeah, I agree. I agree that it's completely fair. I don't, you know, I think a lot of people bag on PFF because their rating numbers are goofy sometimes, and I agree. Their rating numbers are goofy. Yeah. Um, if you want, to, if you look at them in total, 
usually it's a nice quick and quick and easy way to compare players but on a game to game basis sometimes i'm like eh it's okay <laughs> but their stat counting is good i feel like they do a good job counting the stats the pressures the the sacks the, the yeah there's times where i'm like i feel like that pressure was maybe more on this person or more on that mm-hmm. person or maybe that defensive lineman should have gotten credited with the pressure there but over the course of an entire season it kind of comes out in the wash eric what kind of confidence does the seahawks uh, like rejuvenated offensive line give you heading into a stretch of games where we're going to play four teams that i think universally are really bad do you feel like this 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 offensive line is going to show up with this offense and exert its will or or what i think it's just going to stay steady i mean we've talked about how good the past blocking has been uh (laughs) i love that you guys both harped on russ because yeah like you said it's the the coverage sacks have been a thing in his career but this year the blocking has looked so good, and he's had so much time. Uh, as for the run blocking, when we have a running back in there, another strength of this last Thursday game, why it felt so good, Carlos Hyde, a a bruising back that will get that extra yard, something we've you know we've, we've kind of been missing over the past few weeks. Um, we don't really need to be this excellent pass-blocking team. Uh, except when those guys are injured. <laughs> so against bad teams coming up uh, or teams that, you know, frankly, we should steamroll uh, as long as we can stay healthy, man, that's, we cannot make a big playoff push, a Super Bowl push. And let's, I'm going to be a little bit of a downer. Everyone is getting older and the Seahawks team is still pretty young, but Russ is over 30. Dwayne Brown is 35, I believe maybe 36. Um, you got to kind of start cashing in on these investments a little better. And yeah, thirty-five, you're right. Yeah, we need another. We need another Super Bowl. I'm just. I'm. I'm not going to apologize for that. That's feel, that's overdue for this team. This could be the year it happens. I feel like this this year. This is this offense is peaking this year. This feels like the year where this is the offense yeah. that the offense is definitely good enough. And let's go to the defense. The defense is what we up until last game we felt like it wasn't holding up their end of the bargain. Now this defense last week, um, a lot of people really started saw that it started to come together, especially in the second half of that game. And most of the improvement is along the defensive line. There's in one huge acquisition, and I don't mean that figuratively. I mean that literally. He's six foot six. He's two hundred and eighty five pounds or more. That's from the it's from the media guide. You never know with those. Florida Gators, Carlos Dunlap. Okay. Wearing number uh, 48 or 43, right? 43. 43. 43. Yeah, 43. Half of 96. Half of nine, rounded down, half of six. Uh, I'm going to ask, I want someone to ask him why he picked 43 so bad. I, I've not heard yet. But maybe he Carlos Dunlap turned three so much. Carlos Dunlap already has. Um, oh, good call. 4 3 defense. Yeah, serious. That's all I got. Anyway, sorry, Nathan. Go. He has 13 pressures already in in his three games in a Seahawks uniform. He's getting um, he's going to catch your boy your boyfriend Kevin in just a couple more games probably. Benson Mayola, who is Mayola's healthy games. again. We just have the Bash Brothers. That's all that happened oh, there. Jeez. All right. So, um, okay, let's talk about why I like Carlos Dunlap, and then I'll let you guys talk about the other improvements on the defensive lines because there's been more than just Dunlap. But um, Dunlap unlocks the Seahawks defense uh, in a way that that um, Jadavian Clowney never did. Jadavian Clowney plays out of system a lot, which means that he moves along the line. He finds weaknesses. He he plays. A, and the Seahawks defense is not designed very well to uh, handle stuff like that. 
the Seahawks defense, because of the concepts they use, they really need people to play to do their job, <laughs> to do their job. Yeah, and we um, don't deal with freelancing that well. Yeah. And here's the thing about Carlos Dunlap is do I think he has been the greatest defensive end ever to play? Uh, no, he's, but he's good and he plays a very disciplined brand of football. And I think that's, what's most impressed me the most about him is that he does his job. He holds the edge really well. He, uh, he reads the play really well and, and does what he's supposed to do. He doesn't um, freelance or, or take, take a lot of chances. And what that does is it allows everyone else behind him to also play regular football. <laughs> You know, there's, they're not making up for other people having to do that stuff. And I, I love Jamal Adams rushing the passer. Sure. That's fun. Uh, six sacks already, 23 pressures this year, but, but let's be honest if where the Seahawks are playing their best version of Seahawks football, Jamal Adams should not be, uh, should not have as many pass rush snaps as like some of our rotational edge rushers, like Shaquem Griffin, you know, like I'm, I, he should be a guy who, who pass rushes occasionally. Uh, every once in a while, not 70 pass rushes already in six games. That's too much. So Carlos Dunlap, though, allows Jamal Adams to be used more judiciously, allows Bobby Wagner to be used more judiciously. And I think Bobby had one of his best games last week. Uh, it looked really, really good. And it's just it unlocks uh, everything the Seahawks want to do, right? They want they want so badly to, to just line up this base defense, this 4-3 look, and and – ask you to, 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 to defeat it, right? That's what Pete Carroll wants to do. And I think we're getting very close to the personnel that can do that. Snacks Harrison comes in, makes a, makes a difference there. And the, another big thing about having a guy like Dunlap playing next to, he plays next to Jaron Reed. Jaron Reed looks better. He plays next to Puna Ford. Puna Ford looks better. These guys that play next to him also look quite excellent. Uh, so he just makes the he makes the people around him better by doing his job, and I think that 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 might have been why we weren't so interested in bringing Clowney back. Now, what I hate <laughs> is that it doesn't seem like Schneider had a backup plan when the Clowney <laughs> thing fell through, and and That's we had fact. to wait and we had to wait until someone fell into our lap. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I'm not going to say like, oh yeah, the plan was work perfect. Just just the way we drew it up. That, There's we're no just F- waiting around for Dunlap to get disgruntled enough to force his way out of a losing Cincinnati yeah. team. I'm That's not. Exactly I don't want to. I'm not defending this. I'm just nine D poker chess. I'm just giving you the reality of the situation. The backup plan was to wait to see what we could get, and it finally paid off. But yeah, Nathan, you're right. That's not the way you want to do things. Yeah, you don't. Your your first order of business shouldn't be like, all right, well, Connie didn't work out. Well, let's just hope something falls into our lap. Like, yeah, something did fall into our lap, but who boy, if it didn't, uh, this we'd probably still be really frustrated with the defensive line right now. It would have been a healthy dose of Mayoa and uh, Alton Robinson and, and Mayoa rushing just too much. It would have just been got a lot of guys playing more than we probably would like them to uh, last week in terms of snap counts. A so, pass rush sandwich can be overloaded with Mayoa. Yeah, and and so we now we head into a week where we got more guys coming back. Darrell Taylor's coming back could work his way into the rotation, right? Maybe not this week. Pete's saying maybe next week. We'll see what happens. Uh, there's there's guys that are working their way back, and and I think that this defense at full strength is not that bad we talked about it before the season started on paper this can be a top 15 ish top 10 that's our that was our range 10 to 15 defense what happened was we had a bunch of injuries we had a guy guys um kind of the defensive play calling was infuriatingly bad and uh so 
well, let's just go with this. Okay, here's my here's what I'm gonna pose to you guys. Bobby Wagner, is he the greatest football player who's ever lived? <laughs> Holy smokes, he's so good. I don't even understand. He's just so good. He's you wanna take this one here? I feel like you're primed <laughs> for it. I was waiting for Nathan to come back with it's just so is, good. Is Bobby Wagner your favorite, and why is he the greatest football player? Yeah, why is he? <laughs> he's, he's already got 15 pressures this year, or that's as many as he had last year. Um, he has 34 run stops already this year. He's got 67 tackles. I mean, he's just a machine out there. He's defending the passer much better. Last year, passes that targeted Bobby Wagner went for 112.5. I think we were very disappointed about his usage in the pass game. That's dropped to 99.7, and it's getting better on a week to week basis yeah. last week, only 82.3. I really think that he can work that down into the eighties by the end of the season. Now that the system is kind of gelling and working together, Bobby Wagner just looks so good right now. So Eric, Bobby Wagner, greatest or greaterest? <laughs> greaterest. Uh, the best thing about Bobby Wagner this season is uh, you just went over some big stat numbers, Nathan, but it looks like he's not pushing. So it wasn't like he was, he was hampered by this huge injury, but it was last year. He looked out of position. Uh, he looked slower at times, but then you'd see him you'd be like, man, he, he can still play the ability. What's going on this year when he's looked slow, you can tell like he's kind of going somewhere. Maybe he shouldn't, or he gets there late because he acted late. Like he's not trusting his backup or I don't know. There's a Quentin Dunbar who can't cover so well on the right hand side or left hand side. Um, Bobby's Bobby's hitting his blitz holes. He's hitting the run. Uh, he is coming out of nowhere to make hits. That's a young man's game. Uh, Bobby Wagner, possibly the greaterest. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, he's got four passes broken up, and they feel like big plays every time they happen. It's him getting in there, getting physical, or or him jumping a ball over the middle. They would probably be like a fifteen yard completion. Yeah, he's yeah, got he three sacks already this season. And he feels like a very effective blitzer this year. Oh like, man, when he when he bowled that guy over on the when he just ran him straight oh, in the back into the, yeah, it's so good. So yeah, dude, good. that was just a little bit of linebacker porn right there. You know, he's got it, the whole thing is this marks what probably about five straight years where Bobby Wagner since uh, starting with 2016, Bobby Wagner kind of stepped into the forefront of being the man on defense. And and he, it felt like last year. It felt like last year. Like I don't know. Like is this it? Like are we going to start the downturn? And he this year he was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, no renaissance. No, yeah. we're not that, starting was the he downturn. Being used wrong, or was he having a downturn? And he's he stepped up to answer that question. Yeah, he was being. I think he was. Last year's defense was 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 as as much of a mess play calling wise as uh, this year's defense, and frustratingly so. We saw with the the amount of three linebackers they played, not not as big a problem this year. This 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 week, uh, Umadi got forty seven snaps. Uh, DJ Reed actually played a very uh, honorable corner corner game as uh, the shortest cornerback in Pete Carroll history. Yeah, can I, I talk go real quick? <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Um, I'd like to officially crown uh, Ugo Amadi screen hater in waiting. Oh, uh, the, Ugo Amadi hates screens more, as much as KJ. Uh, he's in waiting. That's why he's, he's not waiting. the king yet. Yeah. So I have he's, a catch. So, he's, he's the crown prince of screen hate. So we talked about this. KJ Wright probably took all the screens out of his house. Uh, yep. Like no, there's no screens on his windows. Can't keep the win. He can't keep the windows open in the summer because there's no screens. Do you think? Um, Ugo is there yet, or is he? No, Ugo just replaced the slider with French doors. Uh, he has he has yet to graduate to removing the screens from all the windows. 
But nonetheless, like the way he knifes in, I think Ugo Amadi has really carved out a spot for himself in this defense and him stepping in at nickel. I think DJ Reed has been respectable this year, but I think Ugo um, provides something in the way that he attacks downhill. And maybe it's that safety experience. When you watched him in college, I know Nathan, you and I both scouted him quite a bit. We really liked how he kind of crashed in on those underneath plays. Do you know what else I really liked about him? Against what they kept trying to do to us. What's that? Punt, punt returns. But I don't know why we ever try oh. that. <laughs> we got Reed okay. doing that now, though. Yeah. Okay. Reed. Speaking of Reed, though, I think Reed is the new Akeem King. Sure. I think he's going to be okay. on the Seahawks for the next like four years. He's going to always be available to back up any. Uh, cornerback spot or safety maybe even safety in a real big pinch uh, just an, a really Little good pinch. all-around player he is 2018 draft so maybe he has more room for development too and could step into a bigger role but i uh, i think amadi has him kind of out athleted in terms of like who i see as the future at nickel corner i think amadi's just a, a superior athlete but you never know i think that's a very that's it's a very seahawks thing to have two guys competing for that job like that these guys those guys are going to go to war for that job and it's going to be awesome uh, I think everyone wins. The fans win because I think Trey Flowers wouldn't embarrass himself in this game. Um, I think they they really took the time to make sure that he didn't get destroyed by DeAndre Hopkins when I watched the yep. tape back. They were they made sure that someone else beat them and no one else did. <laughs> so well, so that should we talk the good. two big miscommunications because sure. I think that's been another trend early in the year all the way up until even last week we talked about it a ton massive miscommunications on the back end. And I think we're starting to get a few healthy people back. I also think some of the dudes that we've been bringing in, like there's no way Dunlap knew the playbook the first two games. Like he just couldn't have. And, and, and Reed, like he, he's new, he was new to the system getting picked up after all the off season activities ended. hundred percent snacks. Snacks was trying to figure out exactly what was going on too. Like we've had to start a lot of kids and a lot of people coming in off the street or coming in off of other teams and so as communication settles in, the only two big breakdowns I saw this week were um, Brooks handing off to Quandre on the Max Williams crosser that was the only 20-plus yard pass, went to a really slow tight end. And that was just, I think Brooks and Quandre didn't know what the other person was doing. Yeah, like, um, I mean... Brooks got dumpstered in PFF rating because of that play, so they blame Brooks. But I think that, yeah, it's a communication breakdown, and I think you don't just leave it on one guy. It's 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 hard to know who, it's hard to know who messed up more without knowing what the assignment is, right? And yeah, that's one thing I hate about PFF rating is they guess, right? They guess what they think the assignment will be, and, and, and it's an educated guess. But sometimes it just seemed like in this one, I would have guessed that Brooks was supposed to be playing like deep middle zone. Mm-hmm. Um, was the way it looked to me, or at least that's what Brooks sure seemed to think he was supposed to be doing. And then, so he assumed that when he kind of crossed out of the middle, that it was going to be on Quandre. Quandre seemed to think that Brooks was playing man. So that was a that was a big difference between man and deep middle zo- zone. That's a big miscue. And then the other one was the um, wide open touchdown to uh, Chase Edmonds. And that was a situation where uh, Edmonds crossed the field and both Bobby and Adams uh, crashed in for the blitz. And it seems like there's a good chance that was supposed to be Adams guy. And Adams was just playing too close to the line of scrimmage. He bumped the tight end that was in front of him and didn't realize that there was going to be a guy kind of filing in behind him in that zone. And so those are situations where playing together more is going to help. But I also think Adams is a guy who is going to improvise some. 
And occasionally that might leave us exposed, but there's also going to be a lot of times where that leaves the other team screwed. Yeah. Okay. So Ken Norton Jr. had a, a big meeting this week, an accountability meeting uh, that that's got that's gotten a lot of hype. You guys read about this? this accountability. <laughs> I did Ken not. Yes. Jr. I did not read about okay. this. All right. All right. Was Aaron, it him? I'll, I'll was it him? And he was like, "So, who wants to go for no, it?" No, you're gonna love this. If you if you don't bring it up, I'm gonna bring up this part. But there's one well, I'm part so glad I didn't read this. Love. This is this okay. So. The Ken Norton Jr. led uh, accountability meeting. Okay, so um, there, there. So he basically um, last week their shortest most guaranteed CS found their change their season. So they found time for a room before the game. Uh, Pete Carroll said it was the best meeting he's ever seen. Yes. Um, yes. So he went and they're player, in the best shape so of their life. Carroll was in the room. Well, Defensive well. coordinator Ken Norton Jr. went player by player. First units, second units, base packages, substitution packages. From all pros, Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams down to Shaquem Griffin, Norton asked each defender for his responsibility on each play and every alignment. Okay? So he's trying to get everyone on the same page. So one thing I want to say is this is incredible. This is pretty stupid that they had to do this. But <laughs> yep, it they, does they, seem they like... do this via film or anything. But it does seem like Ken Norton Jr. correctly identified, which the, the problem which is that these guys don't know what each other are going to do or are supposed to be doing. And one thing too is like you have to have kind of like borderline psychic connection with your with your when you're playing zone like that, you got to know what the other guys going to do, right? So that you know then you know what you're going to do, right? Well, it's you like we talked about with it. the LOB. All the time it was like Richard took mind a gamble cuz he knew what Earl was doing or yeah. Cam was doing. They had mind meld. Like they knew mm-hmm. exactly what all the other guys were going to do from the in that back seven. And these guys like need to work on that. And that, you know what? I'll be honest. Uh, I am not pro Ken Norton Jr. now, but at least he went that this is a step in the right direction. <laughs> and yes, I still think maybe it would be wise if we tried to figure out a way to bolster our defensive coaching staff. This get a co-DC. Yeah. Yeah. Get, get, get a guy in like a Chris Richard in the secondary. Although since we canned him, I doubt that's going to happen. But but uh, but Bring get back win, whatever. Being, yeah, bring in a guy that we can use as a, a co DC that that has as much pull in the in the in the room team room as Norton, and maybe can can push Norton to be like the best version of himself he can be. Because yeah, it's uh it's weird, but I mean, all these guys. There's a lot of guys in our team who are new to the system. There are a lot of guys on our team who obviously don't know what the other people are going to do or don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And there's a and lot of breakdowns. Cycling dudes. So. Yeah, Ken Norton Jr. accountability meeting. Stupid, but I'm for it. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite part is the idea of them all standing around the room. He's like, you, what's your job? Okay, now you, yeah, what's your job? The, the, the guy goes, me? Yeah, well, my favorite part of that is yeah, you. that you have to wonder which players are wondering if he's asking because he doesn't know or because he thinks they don't know. <laughs> And I just I picture this very odd exchange, and it makes me it makes me smile every time. I play. It's, uh, it's just such a weird meeting. I play Will linebacker. Ken Norton looks down at his sheet, looks back up. Correct. <laughs> Ten points for Griffin. I suppose you do. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. The um, so the Seahawks have looked. Better, better on defense, like better on offense. So let's talk about how they're going to attack a Philadelphia team that is uh, falling apart at the seams. Is that the ni- nice way to put it? They're no, not good. Except apart. one unit, yes. They're three, six, and one. They're not particularly good. Their offense looks horrible. Their defense looks 
I think worse than it looks on the surface that they have a good DVOA, but that's because their front four is really good and yep. that's it. Everything else about their defense is kind of garbage. Uh, so let's start with this. Um, I, this is how I think the Seahawks should attack the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Philadelphia Eagles are, th- are right now 28th in the league at defending number two wide receivers, 27th against tight ends and 30th against running backs. Uh, this, this linebacking core and safeties, they have trouble. They're, they're not good at covering guys. And I really think the, uh, the Seahawks can attack with Lockett. They can attack with uh, the tight ends over the middle. I'll see a good Hollister game here. And I would love to see more use of the running backs in the passing game. A little Carson action of Carson's DJ back. Dallas. A little DJ Dallas. Um, those guys can get some action. And Philadelphia's pass defense is just it's just not good. It's just not good. And we have the the tools to overcome it too, because they are decent at covering number one wide receivers. That's like the strength God dare of, you the, slay. of the, of the, of the defense. And so, yeah, okay. Maybe we let them take away DK or Tyler, whichever one is being covered by slay. And we just destroy them with the other one, you know? And that's, that's kind of, I think gotta be the game plan. And so you're going to see one of those guys look kind of quiet, but they're going to, the Seahawks, have shown a tendency this year on offense to find a matchup they like and pick on it until it no longer works. We saw it in the first Arizona game where Tyler Lockett uh, got caught 200 passing, 200 yards worth of passes. Man, I am just uh, talking poorly today. If you're a Patreon, <laughs> you'll get to, you'll get to you'll get to deal with that in a much worse version. Pat um, got Pat beat two games. Yeah, yeah so See, he got killed in this last game too. So, so I wonder if we just yeah. go after Slay too for the same in the same way, just a couple of times. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, it, I think that we match up very well with their defense. So I'm, I'm excited about that because, yeah, they they struggle to cover a lot of those ancillary guys. And we do have more talent in the tight end game than I think we get credit for, even without Greg Olson. RIP. Yeah, so sad. All right, Philadelphia offense. Philadelphia's well, offense. Kevin, you got another defensive note? I, I do. Just a, a couple of things thinking about Philly's defense. Um the other thing is that they have kind of a history of having blitz packages that are part of the way that they generate pass rush. They're getting a lot of it with their um, with just their front four, but they do use some blitz packages there. I think a big thing is going to be if Bosich plays. If Bosich plays, then it slots Lewis back in where he belongs. Shell, they're saying, may or may not be there. If Shell's out, I think that's really, really big because... It's going to depend on can Russ throw into the blitz or does Russ have enough hot routes that are reliable? What can we do? Uh, Is the screen game going to be able to handle it? There's got to be, we have to find a way to get the pass rush to back off because once their pass rush is neutralized, it's like you said, it's just their, their butter. They're number one. Philadelphia is number one in stuffing runs this year. They stuffed 27.3% of runs that they face. The NFL average there is 17.5. They don't allow runs to even get to the second level, but even when they do, they're able to shut them down. Uh, They also are really good at rushing the passer with just four guys. Their adjusted sack rate is fourth in the league. They have 34 sacks already this year, which is kind of insane. Uh, It's a really good defensive line, and that's kind of controlling that defensive line is going to be the key for us is if we can make sure that their defensive line just doesn't start going off when they rush four guys, which this it's, it's rare that I say this, but this is an offensive line that can do that. Right. 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 Uh, Right. If we have shell. Yeah. If we have said, I don't want big SETI out there. That makes me really scared. Okay. Their offensive line, Kevin though, 
Not can good. we talk about their offensive line? It is like Seahawks offensive lines of the of the past, man. Because they can create some push on in the run game. 17th in adjusted line yards. But they are they are awful. Awful, awful, awful. They've allowed so they've got 34 sacks, which I said is a very good number, right? Fourth in the league. Well, they've allowed four T sacks already. Hmm, they allow fine. a set they allow a sack every uh 8.9% of dropbacks. They're 32nd in sack rate out of and I don't know if you know this, there's 32 teams in the NFL. That's the worst. And Wentz, can, Wentz takes a lot of unnecessary sacks too. So oh, when you yeah. combine Wentz taking bad sacks with the offensive line not being able to deal with uh pass rush, like I could see Dunlap having a day. I could see LJ Collier as an interior pass rusher. He got a sack on Kyler Murray. He uh, forced the hold that created the safety against J.R. Sweezy. Um, we've been talking about it since he was picked up. LJ Collier, interior pass rusher, is an interesting player. That's a lot more interesting than regular LJ Collier or they, current LJ Collier. <laughs> Another thing, too, is, is they play at a really high pace, mostly because they're behind in the second half. But once they get behind, they really hurry it up. They play really fast. And I think that, 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 they, that that's going to play kind of into the Seahawks' hands with how good our offense is. Like they're just going to end up giving our offense more opportunities and it's going to end up burying them worse and worse. You know, whereas like normally a team plays fast to try to catch up or whatever this, they're going to play fast and it's going to, it's going to actually end up biting them in the butt because they're going to get, they're going to give Russell Wilson the ball more times. It's like, that's, yeah. that is not what you want to be doing. So another um, thing to notice is uh, if we get Shaquille back, it's pretty big because if you look when it comes to passing, Basically anything except for underneath passing, um, Wentz can only read to his strong side. He can only read passes to the right. He can't get his head around to read to the left side. So if our if our starting left cornerback, which is the right side of his offense, is our real starting guy, if Shaquille's able to be over there, that is going to be a big bonus for us because Shaquille is a guy who can get his hand on some passes. And so if we're going to generate turnovers, having Shaquille Griffin in there is a good way of shutting down really the only type of big play that Wentz has been able to generate all season. Yeah. So, all right. This is a, an offense that I think we are not – it's a team we're not super scared of, but one that you need to not take lightly. They, they to, You totally can go in there and lay an egg against the Eagles, and they have enough talent on the defensive line and enough talent with Miles Sanders in a run game where they could punish you, right? They, they almost could, beat Pittsburgh. They could eke out a 20 – I would not be surprised if they eked out like a 27-24 win against a good football team like Seattle. That's the kind of thing that this team can do. They're just the, – the formula for them is – sacks along the defensive line, create a lot of sacks, get pressure with four and and make make the other team suffer and then on offense run the ball with Miles Sanders quite a bit and may, sprinkle in some uh some deep shots to Jalen Rager and uh and hope that that that's enough to win. If Travis Fulgham they will have a chance at that if they can keep our pass rush away, but we have a pass rush now and that's pretty exciting. Uh it's the funny thing is I have a friend who probably won't listen to this podcast. He's in Philadelphia and every year I'm like, uh, and he says something about the Eagles or like the Seahawks facing the Eagles. And I'll say something about Carson Wentz. I'll say like, yeah, you still, uh, you still high on Carson Wentz. And he's like, well, he doesn't really have anyone to throw to. Well, he doesn't really have an offensive line. And uh, Russ had those struggles and not everyone can be Russell Wilson, 
but I'm still under this belief that Carson Wentz is is an above, slightly above average quarterback, maybe, but he's not anything that's going to take this team far. And with them allowing so many, uh, at least so much pressure, not if they're even allowing sacks, if they're allowing pressure, this is going to make Carson Wentz even more inaccurate, and that's going to play in our favor. He's limited, you know. He's just a limited yes. player, and it, and he always has been. It's it's not this is not particularly new, but I just I think that people don't understand that like he can still be really good if you build a system around him. And that's why he made it. That's why his team made it to the Super Bowl and, and won, even though he wasn't the quarterback anymore, but he, he, his limitation the system was so good. It was also able to take Nick Foles to the Super and, Bowl. And he fit into the system and he, and, and Nick Foles is a good comparable quarterback to Carson Wentz. If I'm being completely honest, you know, if you put him in the shotgun and you let him read the defense and you give him, you know, a, a couple quick reads that he needs to make and a couple of decisions and you let him cut it loose deep every once in a while, Nick Foles can be successful. You know, the biggest problem with Nick Foles right now is that he's on the Bears. <laughs> but but if he was back on Philadelphia, I don't think he'd be having as huge of problems, not, cons- not considering the fact that Philadelphia's offensive line is a dumpster fire, and Nick Foles probably would have already got injured if he was playing in Philadelphia. But but the the thing is, is, is Carson Wentz still has an opportunity to be good. He just needs to find himself back in the right system and back in a with a functioning offensive line. He and, just can't have a terrible offensive line. He's not the kind of guy who can deal with that kind of pressure. And he can't react well under pressure and doesn't and doesn't do a, a good job of like his short his short intermediate accuracy has always kind of been a struggle anyway. And so if you're you're combining that and he's making more turnover worthy plays than anyone in the NFL this year by a significant margin. Not only does he lead the league in interceptions, he also leads the league in dropped interceptions. So so he's not just like unlucky, you know, or, or every interception, bad throw he's making is turning into an interception. He's making a lot of a lot of turnover worthy plays, and it's because when he's under pressure, his already questionable short and intermediate accuracy dips, and that's a problem. So, so yeah, this we, is a guy uh, on passes under pressure. He has a PFF grade of thirty eight point three. To give you an idea, he has on. Uh, uh, 109 attempts under pressure. He's completing 40% of his passes with four touchdowns and five picks. He's taken 38 sacks on those. Yeah, it's, it's a it's it's hard good. time. Hard time. Hard times out here, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Everybody have hard times. Um, but you know what? Like I said, we got to take this opponent seriously. The Seahawks need to come out with a good game plan, which I think hey, is division to leader. Neutralize their neutralize their. Uh, <laughs> Potential yeah. playoff opponent. They won't be, they, like I said, they won't be defensive. They won't be division leader by the time we play on Sunday. Only because Washington plays against Dallas, so one of those terrible teams has to win. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> hey, don't call Washington terrible. Alex Smith's question mark leg is is beautiful, and I love it just the way it is. For the Seahawks to win here, what they need to do is neutralize their defensive line, maybe by keeping an extra uh, running back into block or using a, using a tight end to help a little bit. Will Neutral- Will's been a good blocker this year. Yeah. Neutralize that. Neutralize that four man pass rush. Pick on their their poor, uh, you know, middle of the field defenders and and secondary corners, and make them make them hurt uh, in the pass game. That's that's the game plan to uh, to beat them on. And then on defense, we just need to get after the passer with four guys or maybe one blitzer. And and I think that that's like I, I think I said this two weeks ago. Stop babysitting this defensive line. They don't need to blitz. We don't need casino blitzes. We don't need guys like six, seven guys coming in. We don't need. Yeah, that we only garbage. had I think one or two cover zero blitzes in the last game, and we got burned on one of them. So I'm yeah. hoping that was enough to kill the cover zero blitz. Just just work it out. Just get that out of there. So all right, this is um, well that's that's uh that's that. Let's go to picks. I'm I'm gonna take the Seahawks in this one. Uh, I'm gonna go 38 to 20. Hey, Kevin. 
Oh man, very similar. I have a thirty-eight twenty-four Seahawks. Uh, I'm going to go a little more conservative, thirty-one. 31-23 Seahawks. All right. Uh, there are many ways to support the Seahawks Nest podcast. The best way to do so, head over to only12s.com and uh, click click anywhere to uh, to find your way to our Patreon uh, for as little as $1.24 a month. Join in the Discord that's in the pinned post at the top if you're a new joiner, but I'll send out a, an email to, to some of our newer Patreons this week. Also, uh, make sure to join the Discord. That's where all the action is. But also... Uh, check out the picks podcast and all the other fun stuff we put on there for the patrons. Yeah. Boom. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, how time does go by. So thank you. To, thank you to November's right new page. Thank you to November's new patrons: Joel Santiago, Dakota, Shane, Greta, Nathan, Clinton, and Dave, and all the other patrons who've been supporting us for, uh, what, what would you say? Uh, many, many years uh many moons oh, time I'm, does go. We're, on, we're on like episode like 254 on this feed and there was like a hundred like lost episodes before that so we've been we've you guys have been supporting us for a long time let's see who's the oldest patron you want to know who the oldest one is let's go it's your mom no, i was gonna say non-related it's, it's not brett. it's not my mom brett my mom my mom's third thank you to josh josh oh, you are our oldest patron yeah October Eagle tw- River in the that house. makes sense. October October twelfth, twenty sixteen. What a legend. Okay, uh, for everyone else who's been supporting, uh, that would be sorry. I got to go to this one. Lucas, Greta, Timothy, Ryan, Cooper, James, Brett, Carrie, Tom, Michael, Brandon, Nick, Sebastian, Foles, Eb, Manuel, Jay, Warwolf, Bob. Richard, Kieran, Mike, Flockmas, Keith, and Michelle, and everyone else is in the Patreon. Thank you guys for supporting the show. It keeps us going. If you don't have any money, go to iTunes. Give us a five-star review. Help people find the podcast. Um, that's about it. Uh, let's go to uh, uh, the movie club. We said last week we would do Ricky O, the story of Ricky O. So we bought, we watched Ricky O. Uh, we, I, watched, I watched it. Kevin watched it. Eric watched it. We talked about it. Let's just start with this. Ricky O is based is from October, so it's a, it's a little dated, but not what, too bad. Ricky O is based on a uh, a business jump, not show based on jump. a true story, <laughs> business <laughs> jump manga. Okay, so um, he's learned the the secret art of Qigong from Chung Chung Kai Shek's bodyguards and has become so strong <laughs> he can punch holes through basically anything and anyone. Uh, and so in the in the manga, you know, he he. Uh, he encounters other people like him in the movie. He is imprisoned and I'll be, this is like the thing I think that made this book, the movie, the hardest for me was that throughout this movie, they don't give you as much information as they should. And there's so many stupid gags in this movie. And I, there's I like so many missing. They like, there's so many plot holes. You could just drive a truck through. Like they, It's like, why is he doing that? I don't know. There's Guys, just no reason. We're not. Why here was he for the in plot? prison? Okay, so um, if that's the thing is, if you're not here for the plot, you're gonna see some cool stuff. I'm not gonna lie to you. You're gonna see some stuff, but I kept expecting it to turn into like an extended bloodbath. Like, okay, this is the point where it's just gonna be all bloodbath from here on out, and they just never really went there. You know, it stays, it stays broken up. Yeah, Does it's 1991, sense? and it feels like. The action kind of matches the 70s action that you got in Kung Fu movies, like what you're saying. But you don't get like the 70s Kung Fu movies for as much as people think that the bad dubbing from like bored British people made it sound like it wasn't a good movie. A lot of them actually had good plots. 
this one had like the kind of like oddly slow action while also not having a good plot. But some of it was amazing. Like when he punched off entire body parts. No, that was that's not that the coolest thing lot. that happens in the movie. What all in that guy jump kicks the dog in half. <laughs> Dude, I was like, I was like dying. I was laughing so hard. I was like, why would they even choose to do this? This is so stupid. Because what about when he kung fu's uh, keeps himself from uh, dying from being buried alive? What about when he kung fu keeps himself from dying from the death punch? What What about when he and they don't they don't explain the top of the head top of the guy's head off? That's these are, yeah. That's great. Okay. This this Here's whole movie is great, but it's hold on real quick. I want to say like we make fun of the plot for being based on a comic. This feels like a movie made by friends for friends. So here's <laughs> the thing: Louis Fan, Louis Fan, who plays Ricky, is like not that bad of an actor. I've seen him in other stuff, Ip Man, and uh, Future X Cops, and like there's movies that I've seen him in. Okay. I've even seen him in some pretty like Kung Fu Jungle. Not a great he's, movie. He's fine. Kung Fu Killer, dude. Yeah, that movie. That movie's like uh, really cool fight scenes, though. And <laughs> yeah, he's he's good in that movie. He he can act a little bit in this movie. He uses one facial expression the whole movie. His face never changes. It's like what, are what you, is going? Are on? you saying when he punches down the prison walls, it's not believable, Nathan? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he what make maybe make a different face than just the one face. Okay, the, but we, I we just didn't actually one man war on drugs. We didn't actually talk about the actual <laughs> best scene in the movie. Okay, the best scene in this movie, schoolboy Ricky is walking down the road and he comes up to a graveyard where his uncle just happens to be hanging out. His uncle weirdly asks him to like show me your moves. Yes. So Ricky being like That's like the second Ricky, thing he says by the way. He he's like he's like all right, I'll show you my moves and then he shows him his moves and his uncle just like laughs at him and is like those moves are lame. And then and then Ricky's like what? <laughs> okay, this is the only time Ricky acts is when he's young Ricky and it's really bad. There's another really bad young <laughs> Ricky scene. It's the same actor and yeah. they do nothing to make him actually look younger. He's just No, they put him in a school, school uniform. That's yeah, they it. put him in a schoolboy outfit. He's like a 30-year-old guy in a schoolboy outfit. <laughs> so anyway, this scene all of a sudden changes when he tells Ricky his Kung Fu is weak and I'm going to give you my powerful Kung Fu, the art of, uh, what was it called again? Uh, I'm not going to have this. It's not quite on Jin. The art of Ricky anyway. It's not the art of Rikyo. It has a name. It's like so stupid. Oh, Qui Qui Gong. Okay. Yeah. So he's gonna yeah. or Qi Gong, the car or Qi Gong, which can make you so strong. Anyway, he, they start throwing the headstones at Ricky and stuff, and like <laughs> punching through them. And and the uncle's like, "Yes, yes." What it's like, power? It's like, oh my gosh, this is this is ridiculous. So that, yeah, that scene I, all happens very fast. By the way. Yeah. Oh, nothing in this movie happens at, at the correct pace. It's either way too fast or way too slow. It, um, <laughs> it either doesn't that scene that that scene where he's uh, hanging out with his girlfriend and they're flying uh, electronic planes too, uh, <laughs> or like remote <laughs> control planes. Oh my god, that was like I was like not needed. So long, boy. And yes, it's so long. And the Ricky is overacting. This is the only time he's acting is when he's overacting. To so you really know this is child Ricky. This is a different Ricky. He's a he's a kid in this one. So he's like laughing hysterically and like prancing and stuff. And I'm like, what is going on? It's so weird. Um, okay. In this movie, the fight scenes are also really strange. Where like Ricky, they, they all follow the same formula. Strange. They all follow the same formula. Ricky has to take damage that would kill a normal person. Yep. Then Ricky has to murder wholesale a 
people by like punching their head off, punching their arms off, punching their legs off, putting them into a meat grinder and grinding them into hamburger. These are all things that really happened the in this top, movie. Punching the top of uh, their head off. Wait, did yeah. Ricky grind the guy in the hamburger? I thought that was the warden. Dude, they both did. Because remember, okay. Ricky puts the final boss guy after he turns into like a Hulk into oh, right. the meat grinder and just keeps shoving him in. And he, the guy keeps trying to pull him in too. And he's like, nope. Uh-uh, and he just keeps shoving him into the meat grinder. Here's the okay. thing, your introduction to Ricky is that uh, this guy is like bullying kind of a weak dude and ends up like breaking his model train. <laughs> yeah, and Ricky punches a hole through his stomach. And so, yeah, but Ricky like punches a hole through a guy's stomach and then uh, like trips the other guy and knocks him onto like a bed of spikes and then impales the whole side of his face. Oh it's yeah, like, all and right, that's reasonable. So, so that's another thing is about this movie. Okay, is, is that people will take injuries that should put them out of commission for the rest of the movie, and will have a scene literally one minute later. It's but like they're heavily with, bandaged just, in a which, weird way, just like, like bandages over their head. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but anyway, what I was gonna say is the for, the formula is Ricky then murders a few people. Then someone comes in, and for no reason, Ricky stops fighting. There's not. <laughs> it's, it doesn't. It's like Ricky, you could kill that guy too. Just punch his head off. But no, he's done. He's not going to fight anymore. He's going to let himself get captured, and then and then now he's wrapped in a in rebar, or he's covered in barbed wire, or like or he's buried underground, buried by underground. A, by a like, yeah. And it's like, how did they even capture Ricky? It doesn't make any sense. He can punch people's heads off, like <laughs> like it's just it's like it doesn't make it. The movie doesn't make total sense. It's it's just like I think there's one one scene we're missing. Remember when he rips off the guy's head? What does he What okay. does he shout? Rikio shouts, don't fight anymore. This is oh, the yeah. guy who just abhors <laughs> violence. <laughs> He's against violence. He hates it. And he just he just wants it to stop. Favorite, like, favorite character? in this movie are cartoonishly villainous. Yeah, so there's super effeminate guy who the best thing he did was he was talking to the, the um, assistant warden, who's another great villain. He did a somersault over a table on top of a table to the other side of the table to see that his, his uh, poppy plants were burning. That was pretty funny. Um, that was the best thing that guy did. Uh, the, the, the cartoonishly bad assistant warden, Kevin. Oh yep. my God. He's got a fake oh, eye. The shelf of porn. That's, that's my, that's my scene. shelf of porn. So this, literally, literally every, everything on the wall is just all porn VHS. So this is, this is my, like, so Kevin was like, have you seen this movie? And I'm like, no, this is a few months ago. He's like, you, you got to watch this movie. And Nathan's like, oh, yeah, you haven't seen Ricky. Oh, you got to watch this. So I watched it's weird. It. So I watched it like towards the end of October. And uh, I, I came back a couple weeks ago and I said, Kevin, you didn't tell me the best part of Ricky. O. he's like, what's that? And I said, it's when you see the assistant warden and he's like talking to people. He's talking to Ricky. But behind him is just this weird bookshelf on the wall like it's a hanging bookshelf off the wall and it's filled with old porn vhs's like the giant box but they don't reference this and he has another shelf on the side too in that room that's also Also full of porn porn it's it's, they never talk about it it's like what is this i laughed so hard at that i had to rewind first world of warden first world of warden porn club (laughs) two two more things about the warden one your introduction to him where he's wearing a comically large like bib and then eating (laughs) but he's eating like a like he's eating like a straight up raw steak and then he's eating it with his like little claw hand and uh and he's he drinks but he spills it all over himself very villainous second thing i wrote down about the the assistant warden in is when he um he's okay so ricky's fighting oscar and oscar cuts his own stomach open 
and then tries to choke Ricky with his guts. Yes. And yep. the Oscar and the and the assistant warden yells out, "You've got a lot of guts, Oscar." Yep. <laughs> Zing. What? <laughs> what? And then and then Not Ricky the joke. Ricky a- flip. Ricky flips Oscar over, punches him. Then they show the straight up X-ray of his skull shattering, which is like, okay, this game definitely, this, this, I mean, sorry, the game Mortal Kombat was definitely inspired by this movie. 100%. Yes. Uh, I also like the, the regular prison warden. Who's also like mustache twistingly evil. Um, he has a, a kid who's like an obnoxious <laughs> little kid played by a full grown ass adult. Uh, in like an like it looks like for those of you who are also kung fu fans um nathan who did it look like i don't know it looked like it, honestly it looked like the president of north korea <laughs> yes um, but, it, uh, but of course he's got these little shorts he's got you know little socks and these little shoes it, and he has a little like hat with a propeller on it yes. except it doesn't have a, except the propeller's cut off and for he, he's not carrying an oversized lollipop but i thought he should have been yeah, he <laughs> uh, he comes out. He he comes out and he puts he he like laughs at the assistant warden, puts a piece of gum on his face, and then he he runs down the red carpet and he trips because he's a doofus. And then the warden's like, "This is how they establish the warden is super evil." He's like, "Who did this?" And then this they bring a prisoner out. And he's like, "I rolled out the red carpet." And he's like, "Well, if you can't see, then you don't need both your eyes." And he just like stabs him in the eye with his cane. And I'm yep. like, "And it's and and just like all violence in this movie, it's extra brutal." Yep. There's one part where Ricky O cut, gets his arm cut open and he ties the tendons in his arm back together with his teeth. Do you remember that? Yes, yes, I do. That is amazing. I didn't even but know you could do that. The kid looks like <laughs> Sammo Hung, like like Sammo Hung's fat nephew. Yeah, is, is the prison warden's son, and it's this really like, yeah, it's it. They're like this movie's just ridiculous. It is full of ridiculous things, but worth your ninety minutes. Ridiculous. Worth your ninety minutes easily. Uh, I would suggest this movie when you are slightly buzzed and with friends who will make fun of it with you. That is the best way to enjoy. Yeah. It. So I watched it in college a long time ago. That's I'm getting old now. So um, I was in college a long time ago and I loved it back then. I thought it was great. I think I would have probably given it like a four out of five. When I watched it by myself to review, I was not as into it. I would give it a two. So the actual score is probably in between those two scores. But I, I would say, free, so yeah. yeah, I was going to say the, the you need to watch this in more ideal settings than the one that I, I chose to watch it in because it was um, it was tough it was it was there's just the thing is the plot is so nonsensical and for a 92 minute movie it does drag a little at times because you just keep thinking like okay this is when the action's going to really kick off and it instead it's just you get like these bursts of grotesque amazing amazingly funny violence but you never get um i mean there's a part where uh ricky ties someone's limbs together like it's this movie's insane it's it's crazy i i uh i just yeah but not a not it's not as gruesome as we're making it seem. It's very cartoonish and ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, it's not it's gruesome, but it's not like um it's it's kind of like um It's not Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's Looney Tunes. Yeah, or or like um remember in Robocop that scene in the boardroom where it's like cartoonishly violent and to the point <laughs> where to the point where like and this is obviously the intended effect, it, it loses some of the punch because it's just like, okay, all right. This is ridiculous, you know. Like that's what they're doing here too. It's it's a it's a little bit of like a like a commentary. It's a joke. It's a gag. Um, they're ex- the excessive violence. Everyone can withstand unlimited pain. Ricky just stops fighting for no reason. Like it's it's um yeah, it's it is what it is. I 
enjoyable. I would definitely say if you like Gonzo stuff, like crazy stuff, ridiculous stuff, you should watch it. It's a it's a cult film for a reason. Yeah, if you like, um, what's the uh, Kung Fury? Yeah, then there's a good I, chance you'll enjoy this. Yeah, um, I would say yeah, that's fair. I think if you, I uh, maybe like or like yeah, if you like just like crazy, what's the like um what's that studio that did all the crazy um trauma? Yeah, yeah, it's got trauma vibes, dude. It's got trauma vibes for sure. Yeah, that was that's... my that was my selling point to uh, Eric. I was like, it's like if trauma did a kung fu movie. Yeah, because it's not because the acting's not great and it's over the top. Yeah, that's accurate. That's war. easily accurate. But like a couple of these actors are not bad. Like the, the no, but the just, movie's bad with them. The, like right, like like just, you said, the guy who plays Ricky is not a bad actor. But like, no, he, yeah, he's bad in this one. All right, for Kevin, for Eric, we will see you next week. Go Hawks.